Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, Adastra Holdings is a cannabis company that supplies products to 1,400 retailers. Last week, the Langley-based company issued a press release announcing its plans to possess, produce, sell and distribute cocaine in British Columbia. The release describes Adastra as poised to be a leader in drug development for emerging sectors and at the forefront of the NDP's decriminalization program. The statement further reveals that Adastra intends to, and I quote, evaluate how the commercialization of cocaine fits within the company's business model, end of quote. To the Premier, what on earth is going on here? Minister of Public Safety and Minister General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and uh, I thank the member uh, for, the, for the question. Um, as the, uh, the member knows, both sides of the House have supported uh, decriminalization. In no. yeah. no. You have. Um, you can change your position. If you're changing your if, if you're, if, Shh, if Members, you're, let's not have growth. If, if you're changing debate. your position, then um, you know, I think it would be uh, uh, an important thing to, uh, to announce. But uh, we have uh, decriminalization now in the province for small amounts of, uh, of, of drugs. That has been put in place by working with the federal government, by working with police uh, and health officials in terms of how to do that to deal with the toxic opioid crisis that we've been facing in this province. Um, what the member is, has been talking about, uh, I would want to uh, ensure that, that uh, first off, it has to be done under the guidance of Health Canada. Uh, there are rules around and criminal code rules around um, uh, drugs and the amounts uh, that, uh, that are there. And so I suspect, honorable member, that uh, what you're talking about is, is probably something that has been uh, put in place uh, under the aegis of Health Canada. Leader of the Official Opposition Supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. So let's be really clear. The NDP's plunge headlong into decriminalization without the proper guardrails that even the federal government insisted should be in place is absolutely not something that we're going to support on this side of the House. But that answer, that answer explains exactly uh, the problem that we have is that the NDP's sole focus, as I've said repeatedly, is on the public supply of addictive drugs, ignoring the important emphasis that should be on actually helping people get off of their addictions and being proper functioning members of society. So let me read what Adastra Holdings stated in their press release. And I quote, this news Members. release includes statements regarding the intention to evaluate how the commercialization of cocaine fits within the company's business model, end of quote. Now, Mr. Speaker, since the NDP decriminalized hard drugs like cocaine, fentanyl, methamphetamine, this company's stock price has doubled. But let's be really clear here. Cocaine isn't prescribed, it isn't safe, and this is wrong. Commercializing cocaine as a business opportunity amounts to legalizing cocaine trafficking. Full stop. So why has this Premier allowed for the commercialization of cocaine? Minister. 
Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the, uh, the member uh, for his question. What I can assure the member uh, is that uh, any decrim the decriminalization process that's taken place uh, in, uh, in this province is done in concert with the federal government on the guidelines that have been put in place by uh, Health Canada, uh, and that's the only way that decriminalization works, uh, will work in... Members, members, Minister will come Thank to you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, the member asked a serious question, and I'm trying to give him a serious answer, which is, as I've said, where decriminalization is in the province of British Columbia and the rules and, and guidelines that are in place that have been put in place by the federal government for this process to work. What I can tell you is that, no, we would absolutely not be supporting uh, the development and the, uh, the wholesale distribution and legalization of cocaine in the province of British Columbia. What we have, what we have is a policy. What we have is a policy in place that has been developed through considerable amount of work with Health Canada, with uh, addiction specialists, with health professionals, with chiefs of police, to ensure that we can have uh, a safer supply for those who are addicted. This is not and never has been about legalizing cocaine or encouraging it for commercial uh, distribution, despite whatever the member's reading from his members, press Members, please. <laughs> members, please. Member for City South. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, although the uh, commercialization of cocaine typically brings to mind cartels, it's corporations cashing in under the current NDP government. Drug trafficking is illegal. Members, members, please. It's real. Members. Order. Members. Enough. Please. Let's hear the question. Member for Surrey South. Thanks, Mr. Speaker. And you know, I, I heard, I'm not sure who, but someone saying I'm fear mongering, but people should be afraid because trafficking cocaine. Cocaine will cause significant harm in the province of British Columbia, Mr. Speaker. Members. Drug trafficking is illegal, but a retail store has already opened in Vancouver, run by Dana Larson, and they're doing it in plain sight. Larson is also supporting another private proposal to open a brick and mortar store to sell heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamine. Commercialization of cocaine poses a significant threat to health and safety and all being done right now under the guise of compassion. So my question to the Premier is why is he condoning and enabling the commercialization of cocaine in British Columbia? Deputy Premier. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, thank the member for the question. And that's just nonsense that we are enabling and encouraging. And Honourable Speaker, one of members, the things, one of members. The things that we have learned. Really? Member, please. 
I asked the other side, I asked the other side when the question being asked to show the courtesy to listen to the question. I expect the same thing. Please don't, member for Skina, I know what's going on here. Okay? Let's listen to the answer. Minister will continue. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And there are two points to the member's question that I want to make clear. First off, in regard to the, uh, the stores in Vancouver, we didn't issue them a business license. They shouldn't have a business license, and the City of Vancouver should revoke that business license, and they should be shut down. And I have made that clear on a number of points, and the police can, can enforce that members, because what they're doing members. is illegal, and the police can enforce them, and the police can shut that down. But they also have a business license, a business license granted by the City of Vancouver, and the, Members, what's really? You want it shut down? It can be shut down by the police and pulling the business license, and it could be shut down today. Second point, honourable speaker, what I've learned often from the Liberals is when it comes to their press releases, they're often very selective. And so I'd like to go back to exactly what is taking place uh, with this issue that they've raised. So it is a cannabis company. They have received approval from Health Canada to possess 250 grams to do testing uh, in terms of this substance. The license is issued by Health Canada. It is not done with consultation with the province. But I can, but, but I can tell you this: cannabis or uh, cocaine is an illegal substance. It continues to be a legal substance. It is regulated by Health Canada. And that is, a, uh, that is what we support. We do not support the legalization of cocaine for commercial distribution. Sorry, supplemental. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'd point out that also in the press release it says that not only can they possess 250 milligrams of cocaine, but they can also now import coca leaves and manufacture cocaine for the future distribution of cocaine in British Columbia. So, you know, the commercialization of cocaine and other illegal drugs isn't an act of compassion. It's the legalized drug trafficking, and which is going to pose a significant threat to health and safety in BC. And we should be telling people especially children and youth, that drugs are harmful and addictive and deadly, and that the effects of illicit drugs such as crystal meth, fentanyl, heroin, and cocaine are harmful. This government is ignoring the federal letter of requirements and pressing forward with decriminalization with no thought to consequences, no protections, no enforcement, and no plan for public safety. This is doomed to fail badly. So my question, why has the Premier encouraged, supported, and allowed the commercialization of cocaine? Deputy Premier. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And that is just nonsense. We do not support the commercialization of cocaine in British Columbia or the country, Honourable Speaker. And, and if, the federal government, if the federal government has granted a license 
then they should be taking it up with the federal government. They're the one who made that license. But honourable speaker, honourable speaker, what I want to also, what I also want to let the house know is that when she says we are not concerned about traffic, we most certainly are. That's why our budget has 462 million dollars. The largest investment in policing in terms of the RCMP in this province of $230 million, Honourable Speaker. That's why there's more than $83 million to special teams to Members. particularly go after uh, repeat violent offenders, Honourable, uh, Honourable Speaker. It's also why we have made traffic dealing with, with drug traffickers and those who profit a priority for our government, whether it's bringing in witness protection. Uh, uh, programs to, to, to be able to build strong cases, to bust criminal gangs that traffic, Honourable Speaker. We take it seriously. Our budget takes it seriously. And it's unfortunate, Honourable Speaker, that that side of the House doesn't realize it. It's, it's really interesting to see today when question is being asked, if there's any amount of heckling from the uh, government side, the opposition side very quick to point out to stop it. When the answer is provided, the heckling happens, they just ignore that. Please, let's apply the same rule to both sides. Heckling is okay, but at least have the courtesy to listen to each other. Thank you. Member for Senate Northern Islands. Mr. Speaker, for weeks we've been hearing the government and opposition fighting up about addiction treatment beds. Treatment we desperately need uh, to support recovery of British Columbians. Basically, the debate has been framed around who's worse at letting people die, attempting to score political points off of the trauma of British Columbians. It's theatre. Neither side of this House are taking accountability for their failure to regulate the treatment industry. Private industries are profiting from the drug poisoning crisis. The industry has a vested interest in having clients, and that means more harm, Mr. Speaker. Both sides offer billions, but without setting industry standards, making vulnerable people more vulnerable to potential predators. Addictions treatment and recovery options are greatly needed. However, in British Columbia, there is no standard of care, Mr. Speaker. Additionally, this government doesn't even collect data on the number of beds, who's in them, and how many are needed. One would think that the government would start by understanding the scope of the problem and then ensuring the options they are creating are safe. Mr. Speaker, my question is through you to the Premier. When will he set standards for the treatment industry in British Columbia. Minister of Health. Well, uh, thank you and uh, thank you to the member uh, for his question. As the member will know, um, uh, previously under Minister of Mental Health and Addictions uh, Judy Darcy, the government re-regulated an area that had been deregulated, which is recovery houses in BC. It was a significant action that reflected exactly what he's talking about in the community. We have, to, in this week before the House, a budget that invests unprecedented amounts in treatment, Honourable Speaker, that adds treatment beds in our province, publicly funded treatment beds, supporting uh, groups in the community as well, such as the Canadian Mental Health Association, 
that do just that. So we have moved on these questions. On the issue of data, you'll see in the, uh, in, uh, the uh, Minister of uh, Mental Health and Addiction Service Plan, new measurements of data to do exactly what the member is asking. In other words, we have a serious, thoughtful, and, and, and frankly, action-oriented response to what is a public health emergency that affects everybody. Member for Sandwich Northland Island, supplemental. Mr. Speaker, I appreciate the uh, response from the Minister of Health, and uh, we have seen and heard from the coroner suggesting that anyone can put up a sign and call themselves a treatment centre, Mr. Speaker. And so, in the coming weeks, we will definitely be asking further questions of, in, with respect to the response that the Minister gave uh, in budget estimates and beyond. Yesterday, the Finance Minister was quick to quote Johnny Morris from the Canadian Mental Health Association in BC. Only the good parts, Mr. Speaker. See, I agree with Johnny that the $1 billion investment in mental health and addictions care is a remarkable investment. But the finance minister failed to mention that Johnny also raised concerns about the lack of funding for mental illnesses beyond substance use disorder. It appears only $61 million is going uh, to support those uh, illnesses in Budget 2023. I've heard many stories of families desperately seeking care for their loved ones being turned away or discharged less than 24 hours after suicide attempts or self-harm. Our mental health care system is deeply broken. One in five British Columbians, 900,000 British Columbians, will develop a mental illness over their lifetime. Some of those may be related to addictions, but many will not be. Of the billion dollars, there is little for those with schizophrenia, with eating disorders, with dementia. This government currently is failing them, Mr. Speaker. My question, Mr. Speaker, is through you to the Premier. When will he fix the broken system of mental health care for all the people in British Columbia who depend on it? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, and thank you again to the member uh, for his question. Um, investment in mental health and addiction since 2017 has gone up more than any other area of health care more than ambulance paramedics, more than surgeries, more than any other, because the system was not in place, I think we can all acknowledge that, was not in place to provide people uh, the care that they need. And so we have taken systematic steps to address that in a number of ways. 45,000 visits to counseling service not funded before. A primary care networks that have added more than 200 full-time equivalents to support family doctors and nurse practitioners in providing mental health services, building out a system of care for the very issues the member raises, because he's quite right. There are many people in British Columbia who are not dealing with a dual diagnosis, are not dealing with addictions issues, but are dealing with serious mental health issues. And even mild mental health issues have increased clearly, and we all know this and we all feel this, during the pandemic. So he's quite right. We have to build that out in every aspect of care. In child and youth mental health, you've seen it in the Pathway to Hope uh, initiatives that have taken place. In primary care, you've seen it in the major investment in primary care networks. You've seen it in the actions of successive ministers of mental health and addictions in adding counseling services. And we have to continue to do that work. It's essential, I think, in British Columbia, and I think this is where the member and I would entirely agree, that we provide mental health services in the same way that we provide services for a broken leg or, or a seriously twisted ankle or any other ailment. And that's what we're seeking to do.
Member for Nechako Lakes. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Six people die every day in BC from illicit drugs. But at the same time, almost six people die every day waiting for diagnostic services or surgeries in BC. This is an abysmal and unacceptable failure of BC's healthcare system and it should alarm everyone. When will this minister admit the failure of BC's healthcare system and take steps to develop a new model? Minister of Health. Well, uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Uh, the last week with recorded information, we set a record for February for the number of surgeries completed. We'll see. A record. We did in January. We did in December. The all-time record was set in the middle of December in the midst of very significant <coughs> challenges for our system with respect to respiratory illness, Honourable Speaker. We, uh, we have reduced wait times for surgery in a pandemic, which is not an extraordinary achievement for me, but for doctors and for surgical nurses. We have added 300 net new surgical nurses to the system to do that. We've put in place a surgical renewal commitment that's had real impact for people, reducing wait times in, in key areas of care. And on diagnostic care, the member represents a constituency in the Northern Health Authority. He'll know that that authority in 2017 had the lowest level of MRI of any equivalent region in the country, number 10, well, really number 13, Honourable Speaker. And we have changed that. We have more than doubled the number of MRIs so that people in the Northern Health Authority get the same access to diagnostic care that everyone else in the country has and everyone else in the province has. Member from Nechakolik, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Those numbers were a record high for the province for last year. But you know what, Mr. Speaker, in addition to that, BC has 6,800 licensed family doctors in this province, yet only 3,200 are actually providing services. What on earth is the matter with this minister's approach to health care that are not are keeping these health care workers from actually being in the system? Instead of focusing on urgent primary care, which costs approximately three times as much per visit <clears throat> with far fewer visits per doctor than a family doctor, why isn't this minister focusing on getting these registered family doctors back into the system? And when will this minister put the needs of patients ahead of a broken system that is responsible, that he's responsible for and focus actually on a, on a positive environment that will attract these doctors back into BC? Minister of Health. Well, uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Um, yes, there are 6,800 family doctors. Yes, that's 600 more than there were when I was, became Minister of Health. All of them are working in BC. What he's referring to, I think, is those who are delivering longitudinal family practice, which is higher than what he said, but in the range of that, closer to 4,000 than 3,200. And so all of those doctors are working. Many of them, for example, family doctors working as hospitalists, providing care for people in the province now, and he'll know there's more than 10,000 people in hospital today, so that's significant. So what have we done? We developed with um, the doctors of BC a new payment model, and in the first month, 1,975 doctors have joined that payment model, including, Honourable Speaker, 167 that weren't practicing last year in longitudinal family practice. In a month, Honourable Speaker. We have added, through our new-to-practice contracts, a program that used to have 20 to 30 doctors, 116 new doctors to that program. 
because we worked with the residence doctors of BC and the doctors of BC to make that effective and to make that work. We've tripled the number Thank you. of nurse practitioners in BC. So those actions in primary care are working because we developed them with the workforce in primary care. Member for Courtney East. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, families who have fled war-torn Ukraine require a driver's license to integrate into Canada and rebuild their lives. However, ICBC has failed to provide the written driver's test in Ukrainian, despite the significant and increasing number of Ukrainian-speaking people in British Columbia, and they're coming in by the thousands every day. The government and ICBC have cited costs as the reason for rejecting the addition of Ukrainian, and instead suggest using phone translation services, which are very cumbersome and disjointed, or taking the written test, Mr. Speaker, in Russian. I don't think I have to tell anyone in this chamber that requiring Ukrainians to take the written driver's test in Russian is not only traumatic, but also insulting for those who have fled Russian aggression. Will the Premier see the indignity that this represents when so many families are fleeing Russian oppression and please allow Ukrainians as an, addition, an additional language option. Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. I thank the member for his question and I would uh, uh, agree uh, with the, uh, the challenges being faced by uh, Ukrainians fleeing uh, Russia's illegal invasion of, uh, of Ukraine. Uh, I can tell you that uh, yes, there are the, the tele telecommunication language uh, option on there in terms of that translation. Uh, but I also know that there have been, depending on certain parts of the province, uh, access to those who speak Ukrainian to, to assist um, Ukrainians who don't speak English um, to be able to take the, uh, to, 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 write that, uh, to write that test to assist with that. But I most certainly will take back um, the, uh, the issue of being able to write the, uh, the test uh, in Ukrainian. And I completely agree asking to, uh, to, to write uh, in, in Russian is, is just completely unacceptable. Member for Kutnys, supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the Minister for that moment of clarity. We've written the Minister on this, and as the Minister knows, uh, the letter that I got back was citing costs. So perhaps now the Minister has reconsidered, and I would uh, certainly appreciate that uh, going forward. Uh, there is a solution, as the Minister knows. We have a group. We have a, fortunately, we have a group in Cranbrook, the uh, volunteers, and we heard ministerial statements last week uh, from this government talking about the support that all sides of the House want to give the, these refugees from Russian aggression. We heard the member from Prince George Valmont talk about her support group in her community, and they're across the province. So, but we have a, a group in Cranbrook that has stepped forward to cover costs and organize the written translation for the Ukrainian test option which I informed the minister about last, uh, probably about a couple of weeks ago now. So the communities are stepping up, the organizations are stepping up, the people are stepping up. Will the premier please step up, do the right thing, accept the community proposal from Alan McBean and our volunteers in Cranbrook and to translate the ICB driver's test into Ukrainian. Minister. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. As I said, um, I will be ensuring that uh, ICBC is able to provide uh, the test uh, for people uh, in, uh, in Ukrainian. Uh, and uh, don't worry, it will be done.
Member for Peace River North. It's sad that day after day we bring up example after example of the failures in our health care system that continues to seem to be downplayed by this government. And Honourable Speaker, I give another example of that. Morris is a senior from Fort St. John with a wife and family. A year ago, he was diagnosed with an intestinal blockage and placed on a surgical wait list. For 10 agonizing months, Morris was forced to manage his excruciating pain with Tylenol-3 and forced to make repeated visits to the emergency room with days that he could only drink glucerna for his nourishment. Finally, Morris did undergo surgery December 23rd, only to discover that cancer had been growing in his intestines for the last 10 months. To make things worse, not all the cancer could be removed, and now Morris's family is living in constant fear that the cancer may be rapid growing and late stage, and that he may tragically pass away before he receives treatment. Morris has been waiting for 10 excruciating weeks for his pathology reports and a specific diagnosis and medical treatment plan. Can the Premier finally take responsibility for this catastrophic failure in our healthcare system under his watch and give Morris's family the treatment he needs? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Chair, and of course, Honourable Speaker, and of course, um, uh, when such um, matters come to people's families, it has a devastating effect, not just on Morrison's case, uh, but on the entire family. And so our hearts go out to them. A diagnosis that's discovered in the midst of another procedure is devastating. You're preparing for something. Um, profoundly difficult and another diagnosis comes. The member knows um, that uh, I will, in terms of the specific case, I can't speak of those specific cases in the House, he knows that, but he also knows that I will follow up with him uh, on the specific issue. With respect to, to surgeries and surgical wait lists, I, I think uh, the evidence is pretty clear and BC's surgical renewal commitment is being followed by the entire country because of the very reasons he states why it's so important for people to get the surgery they need when they need it. It's why that we're doing record numbers of surgeries now because people, regardless of whether it's surgery that involves life and death or someone's sight or someone's ability to move, all medically necessary surgery is important. And that's why we've expanded the number of operating room nurses, expanded the number of medical device <coughs> processing technicians, expanded the number of surgeons, expanded surgical hours by 175,000. And still, as the member notes, it doesn't always work in that way for everybody. So we're going to continue to pursue those initiatives, and I'll be happy to talk to the honourable member about his constituent and their circumstances, as he would expect me to do, and I know the member has done, because we've done this in the past, We'll work through that with the family in the most appropriate possible way. The balance question period.